Not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. Greetings from the dark side of the pomegranate. I am your host, Billy Hoosh. Welcome to Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, a podcast that explores true crime, paranormal activity, and unsolved mysteries. This series discusses difficult and distressing subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 4, The Existence of Aliens. Hello, I'm Sarah Afshar. The quiddity of an unknown species theoretically perpetuates the selfishness of those who believe humans are the only life forms in this universe. Therefore, denying their existence is modestly moot and does not make humans the only universally existential being in this universe. And remember, not everything in life is what it seems because even salt looks like sugar. Unidentified flying objects, commonly known as UFOs, are an extraterrestrial phenomenon that take you into the world of the unknown, which cannot be understood nor explained. The term was originally coined by an officer of the United States Air Force named Edward J. Ruppelt who strongly believed the term flying saucer was misleading, so he preferred a more basic reference of this unexplained visual acuity. As humans, it is easy for us to acknowledge and recognize ourselves as the only living species in existence within this universe. However, it is evidently clear that humans are not the only living life forms. Join me today as I cut deep into the diabolical pomegranate, explore the unknown, and take you through the existence of the unexplained. The existence of aliens. Nordic aliens are extraterrestrials who resemble human beings, but are not actually human. Commonly known as humanoids, Nordic aliens have been known to possess distinctive Caucasian aesthetics, 
such as blonde hair, fair skin, and blue eyes. The Venetians are natural-born residents of planet Venus. They are known to primarily communicate through telepathy. Although they are often depicted as having blue and sometimes even green skin, when they originally made contact on Earth, they appear to have blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. In 1952, Polish-American UFO theorist George Adimski claims to have met a Venetian in a California desert. The alien who used the alias Orthon explained why he initiated contact shortly before sharing photographs with the alien enthusiast. Another UFO expert, George Washington Van Tassel, also channeled and communicated with a Venetian. In 1952, during the same time Adimski received his message from Orthon, Van Tassel communicated with an extraterrestrial known as Ashtar Sharon. Overshadowed by skepticism from several theorists, Van Tassel established the Ashtar Command, followed by the Ashtar Movement shortly after. About 25 years later, as a reporter named Andrew Gardner from the United Kingdom was about to present the news for the Southern News Outlet, an individual who used the pseudonym Virilian attempted to deliver a message which lasted over five minutes. Here is the recording. Indonesian nationalist leader Bishop Abel Musareva has accepted Mr. Smith's offer to negotiate an internal settlement based on one man, one vote. But, he says, there are conditions. These include stopping the execution of all captured prisoners of war, Still no. 
Although the IBA said this was a hoax, several theorists believe the IBA's stance is simply a facade created to camouflage an extraterrestrial trying to communicate and prevent fear-mongering amongst the audience. This isn't the first time, nor the last time, other humans have made contact with aliens. A woman identified as Yvonne Cole claimed in the mid-1980s she made contact with the Ashtar Command by channeling him. With many other UFO fanatics jumping on the bandwagon shortly after, skeptics began to question the authenticity and dub this as merely a conspiracy theory. Moving right along. In the 1970s, a Swiss cult leader by the name of Billy Meyer founded the Free Community of Interests for the Border and Spiritual Sciences and UFOlogical Studies, an organization dedicated to UFO religion and subculture. Meyer maintains he has an ongoing friendship with the Nordic aliens known as the Plejaren, also known as the Pleiadians. Do you believe the Earth is hollow? Agarthans are aliens who live within the core of the Earth in a territory known as Agartha. Agarthans resemble human beings and basically possess the same aesthetic. Although a vast majority tend to have blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. In 1995, Princess Sharula Dukes, a spokeswoman for the Agartha Kingdom, was interviewed by journalist Joanna Cherry, where she claimed there were two major civilizations on Earth almost 30,000 years ago. Dukes also shared that Agartha has amino-built computers that can't be destroyed which can read your auras, a virtual reality platform that is much like the holodeck in Star Trek, and hydroponic gardens where all of their vegetables and fruits are grown in water. Dukes also stated Agarthans are vegetarian and some of the animals which are extinct currently live there. Agarthans are against judgment and hatred of any kind. 
so they have only invited very few human beings into their domain. Fascinating is an understatement. In the mid-1960s, a nuclear physicist named Charles Hall encountered an alien species from the Nordic family which he dubbed as the Tall Whites. He described them as being around 5 feet to 6 feet tall with very light hair and skin. They share a lot of the same characteristics as human beings, but tend to embody Scandinavian traits the most. In an article published in January of 2014 on the Forbes website by former contributor Michael Peck, it was revealed that the United States has been ruled by the tall whites for many years. Although many have speculated this as a hoax, the Farce News outlet in Iran published a similar story which uncovered details by the Russian FSB that aliens were in fact ruling most of the world and are responsible for most cataclysmic events occurring. Do the tall whites really exist? And if so, are they ruling the world today? Or is this simply a belief perpetuated as servitude created to invoke speculation and scaremongering? Many UFOologists theorize a total of 10 species are associated with the humanoid Nordic affiliation. However, because these claims cannot be substantiated, there is no evidence this is true, sadly. Aliens have been a prominent part of culture, yet there are many who doubt their existence. The greys are a species of alien which represent part of the humanoid species. They are aesthetically unique because they have huge heads, almond-shaped eyes, no nose, no ears, and grey skin. Oftentimes, they only have very few fingers, are completely hairless, and stand only three to four feet tall. Their mouths are very small. Over 70% of all alien encounters reported on Earth have been sightings of gray aliens. With the first sighting dating back to July 8th, 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. These extraterrestrial beings are the most iconic in science fiction culture. With so many subsequent sightings of this particular alien species, the information disclosed has never been thoroughly debunked despite the claims against it. Embrace yourself and listen to what appears to be a gray alien in major distress, being interrogated 
by an unidentified male in Brazil. Fala, filho da puta! Calma aí, mano. Brazil is one of the most visited countries by aliens. In 1996, the Brazilian military allegedly captured an alien in Varjina, which several civilians claim to have witnessed. But in efforts to debunk these theories, the military has since denied these claims. According to witnesses, the alien stood about five feet tall and possessed very similar aesthetics to the gray alien species. However, had brown skin instead of gray, red eyes, and very distinctive V-shaped feet. This isn't the first sighting in the world's fifth largest country. Perhaps Brazil should really be called Brazilian. There are sightings and experiences all over the world. In the early night of August 21st, 1955, in Hopskinville, Kentucky, a large group of 12 people arrived at the local police station frantically distraught, making claims that their farmhouse was attacked by small alien creatures. They described these creatures as small appearing greenish silver in color. Was this a hoax? or did they really see aliens? And if so, were they actually part of the greys? In May of 2020, there have been a series of UFO sightings in the United States. One in particular was by a man located in Fort Myers, Florida who reported a sighting while driving on the I-75 highway. Just last month, the United States released multiple videos taken by Navy pilots that were declassified. Here is some of the audio compiled from these recordings. There's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. That's not our LNS, though, is it? It's not. That is the LNS, dude. Well, if there's a like good thing, it's rotating. Nickel 6-1, Tango, Roger, Roger. 
shooting to the side. Moving target? Did you box moving target? No, I took an auto track. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, dude. Wow, look at the try. If you are enjoying tonight's episode of Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, and wherever you find fine podcasts. Also visit our official website, evensaltlookslikesugar.com. The reptilian, or reptoid, is an alien that is half reptile, with an animalistic nature, aggressive temperament, and a cunning yet calculating decorum. Also depicted as having a body like a human and a head like a snake. This particular extraterrestrial is also known as a draconin is one of the most common extraterrestrials among conspiracy theorists, as they believe these aliens are simply evil and want to take over the planet Earth by shape-shifting into human form. In modal realism, several UFO enthusiasts believe this form of alien exists among us and can easily be identified through our collective consciousness. Most of these aliens are said to be the most powerful human beings on Earth with hidden wealth and riches. However, if the planets move and compromise the electromagnetic field to the sun, does this planetary position conflict human behavior? If so, what about those extraterrestrials behavior who try to contact and communicate with us? It has been speculated that billions upon billions of neutrinos from the muon, electron, and tau family penetrate our bodies every second. Multiple studies have been conducted which prove extraterrestrials uses these subatomic particles to communicate with humans. And on January the 2nd, 2012, researchers of the Ice Cube Neutrino Observatory in Antarctica shared proof that neutrinos exist in outer space. If this research is factual, where did the neutrinos originally come from? And is this proof aliens are real and do exist in the universe as we know it? Joining us for tonight's episode is experimental philosopher and systems consultant M.A. Carano. Hello, M.A. Carano. How are you? Hi, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Um, you dip into a plethora of topics. I want to ask you, do you believe in aliens, and why so? 
So when people say aliens or when people speak about belief, these are two different questions that from a philosophical perspective need to be clarified a little bit. Mm-hmm. Individuals, when they say they believe in something, don't normally approach it from a formal perspective. But for the purposes of our conversation here, we're just going to say belief in this case equals justified true belief. And I think that there's sufficient evidence for us to say that we can justify our point of view as true, that aliens or extraterrestrial life certainly does exist. Um, there's an, an enormous amount of reasons why individuals would make the conclusion that extraterrestrial life would exist in the world. Um, Stephen Hawking is certainly an individual who believed in the reality of extraterrestrial life. Mishio Kaku is another uh, famous public intellectual who believes in, the, in who believes in the reality of extraterrestrial life. And not only that, there's just a, an extraordinary amount of material evidence that suggests that we're already surrounded in a universe which is rich with life. Because we often hear through stories that extraterrestrials are concealing uh, their existence from us. Why do you sure. think? Why do you think that would be? Why would they be doing this? Well, if you just, let's let's look at this from this point of view. When we look out into the sky, excuse me, I got a cough. <clears throat> when we look out into the sky, and we do a um, a light analysis, we do a, a sky surveillance of the local group of star, of the star system which is around us. We're observing star systems which are only about 100 light years away. And when we're making these observations, we're only scanning the sky according to what we know to be light corresponding with the hydrogen spectrum, which is just this incredibly, incredibly narrow parameter, uh, parameter of light that we could possibly look at. Now, any sufficiently advanced technology is not going to simply be broadcasting data along the hydrogen spectrum. They're going to be broadcasting data across the entire uh, across the entire charged electromagnetic spectrum so in certain instances way how at least we broadcast the content is that if you access the internet there'll be transmissions of data from your point from your point of access to which goes through wi-fi and it's beamed through towers and the information itself is broken up and then it's reconstellated and when it receives it when it when it receives its target destinations put together but if even if you were on this earth and if you were to intercept at least a part of that information it would be nonsense you wouldn't be able to understand any of it it would just simply part be part of the uh just part of the the, the background static noise of the universe you could even probably pull pull away from that if not for this the strength of the signal so we have a difficult time even recognizing our own transmissions unless we're at the point to which we can intercept them and put them together but if we're going to be looking at different uh d- different extraterrestrial civilizations we're going to be scanning the sky we're going to be hard-pressed to discover a direct signal such as something shot with a laser it's not going to pulse toward to, um, to us that way because the signal itself is going to have to be routed around uh, black holes it's going to have to be routed around star systems nebulae clouds of dust and other obstructions that could otherwise mitigate the strength of the system or the strength of the signal rather so that's something which needs to be borne in mind as we go about this. And not only are they going to be doing that, they're going to be doing that across the entire spectrum of the uh, – uh, across. Uh, they're going to be doing this across the entire elemental spectrum. And we're only looking at the hydrogen spectrum. The universe is 90 – I'm not mistaken. I think the universe is 90 billion light years in diameter. 90 billion light years in diameter. That's an incredibly – yeah, I know. Incredibly vast – span of uh, span of space and time and we could only basically assess with any degree of reliability the charged electromagnetic spectrum pertains to the hydrogen spectrum within the la- within about 100 year- 100 light years from where we are so if we're not finding them 
there could be lots of different reasons why. Um, one is because there's technological limitations, just as I've described. Mm-hmm. We're not currently at the point which we can assess the entire uh, electromagnetic spectrum. Two, we still live in an ecosystem. And what I mean by living in an ecosystem is that if there's life in the universe, and I'm hard-pressed to say that there is, there's predator-prey relationships. Mm-hmm. And predator-prey relationships are going to basically correspond with precisely the same way that the relationships happen here. They might not necessarily be predator-prey relationships in the sense of somebody looking to eat you, but they might be predator-prey relationships in the sense of some, something looking to exterminate, uh, exterminate large swaths of, uh, of your population and colonize your planet and make it in terraform it for, for your own purposes. There's, wide, there's a wide variety of reasons why we could imagine uh, the concealment of, ex- of an extraterrestrial presence to be a perfectly rational uh, decision from their point of view. Interesting. Interesting and a, a little scary too. It, it, it could be. I, I, one of the things I like to talk about is that when you, um, when I was a, when I was a little kid, and I started to actually get interested in this, uh, I used to notice that on these Time Life magazine commercials and these Time Life mysteries commercials, they would show these pictures of these aliens for apparently from um, eyewitness observers that had encountered something like I believe his name was Traps Walton with the abduction with the abduction events for the situation surrounding the fire in the sky movie that was released in the 90s mm-hmm. and they've always they've always made these great creatures with eyes in the fronts of their heads ignoring the ignoring the problems of them being strictly um, strictly organic creatures because i think they're probably cybernetic organisms which are manufactured if they were organisms on their face they would have eyes which are facing forward that would be binocular vision that we only see binocular vision in species which would be predatory or carnivorous and Individuals that would have binocular vision with eyes featured on the front of their head would be skillful in subterfuge and in dial, and deception would actually be par for the course if that were the case. So individuals that are assessing the, the benevolence of gray aliens, again, presuming that they're organic strictly and they're not designed that way for um, other reasons, might be overstating the case when we're making the argument for their benevolence, because as a general rule, <laughs> creatures with eyes in the fronts of their heads aren't friendly. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. That's an interesting insight. And we hear about greys being, because you mentioned cybernetic organisms. We hear often that greys could possibly be drones or or something for a different life form that are sent here. That's what that is. Can you explain that? Or do you you have any information? I I do have some information. I think... I think he's well intended. I think he's in contact with a lot of reliable with a lot of reliable sources. I don't know how much of this his his information is is is. I don't know the statistical breakdown of how his information pans out. His name is John Lear. He's the son of the uh, he's the son of the inventor of the Learjet. He's good friends with Bob Lazar. And one of the things to which he was talking about in a radio interview, I think it was with Art Bell, is that what we're essentially calling the gray aliens, they're uh, they're a cybernetic mechanism. In, this, in an artificial organism that are operating at the behest of employers who are located God knows only where and they're controlled from a distance and in this particular instance they don't eat they don't sleep they're just strictly cybernetic organisms that are operating for the purposes of attaining and gathering uh, gathering information and monitor and monitor, monitoring and surveying their uh, their I guess their their space territory that's what John Lear says that that seems to basically be sensible because in lots of different instances, we find um, we find case stories like the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, where they report that they were visited by aliens and they were outside of a suit. 
that wouldn't make any sense if you were landing on another planet because just the problem of the of the, of the microflora and the microfauna and the bacteria and the, and the viruses you wouldn't be evolutionarily adapted to cope with that unless of course you were a machine and it wasn't an issue and that makes sense if they're reconnaissance drones or something um that are prepared to to be um, used here to to see what's up or i guess monitor us um and you mentioned bob bob lazar um we seem to be getting more lately there's been more and more governments opening up with what they have experienced and discover however why do you think that the existence of aliens have been taboo and have been concealed by us by by governments why how come we don't talk about this that that often i think the controversy of the topic varies culture to culture for example a lot of people don't wouldn't, wouldn't really expect me but i come from a, an islamic background so it's pretty it's pretty clear that uh it's pretty clear that if any you know any simple reading of the quran demonstrates that the universe would obviously be life life and life permitting life habiting allah is considered the lord of the worlds that wouldn't make sense if there were, if there weren't other planets occupied by life for allah to be the lord of um, so in Arab cultures and Arab communities, they tend to be more open and more friendly towards these concepts. But if you journey towards the West, you find like in a Judeo-Christian culture, which is predominantly uh, creation-centered uh, creation with uh, 6,000 years of creation. That's traditionally how they look at it. They're not quite understanding that these are uh, myths that communicate psychological truths. They're not to be taken on their face, literally. You have the problem in the 20th century and in the 21st century where... Number one, religion was totally essential for the, the United States federal government for winning the Cold War. It helped to establish a sense of group identity against the communists and to define our nation against them. So supporting contemporary or traditional religious values in the Judeo-Christian uh, value syndicate was part of the information war that needed to be waged against the Soviet threat and against the communists. And also, in addition to that, you needed to, you needed to reinforce that with high latitudes of nationalism. So in the United States, you had instances where UFOs and unidentified flying objects were being plotted and monitored by traffic air controllers for, for decades on end. And the United States always had per, uh, first prerogative to investigate these, um, these types of sites. And there were many different instances they couldn't tease them out for, from whether or not they were, they were representative of the Soviet threat with advanced technology. So part of it was that they needed to shut down circulation of information about this not because they were trying to repress the existence of extraterrestrials but because they were trying to basically contain the contain and quarantine the information of of, of uh, surrounding the cold war at the time before it could potentially turn into something which was disastrous so for in my opinion i think for entirely um i think for entirely practical reasons the information was controlled i think it was only after some time to which there was like the crash of corona and then the other places to which we've had a We've unearthed uh, extraterrestrial crafts out of archaeological excavation sites that it became um, it, it became a it became a, an, an issue above top secret. So I tend to agree with the secrecy that was surrounding it during the Cold War. I think some of the strictures that are surrounding the the current containment of the information can can be relaxed, and I think that there are people in federal government right now that are coming around to that sort of mind frame, and they're willing to at least release some content now we don't really have any major military uh, competitors anymore left on the earth maybe china is an economic competitor but 
there's not really anybody that we need to worry about militarily. So I think that I think the milieu now is safer than it's ever been for the conveyance of this information. Feels like we're living in fascinating times. If we'll be able to get trickles of more more information from governments about uh, what's really going on. Do you? So um, you mentioned the Cold War, and that was also an excellent insight about culturally. There's cultures that are closed off to that humans are everything in the world and the universe revolves around us and that that does make a lot of sense now um going off of what bob lazar was saying about how his job was basically well from what i understand was to reverse engineer technology from a obtained i guess from a crash site do you believe that other governments of other militaries have various aircraft or technologies alien technologies that are attempting to weaponize it i I think vladimir putin's government has some i think there there's been conversation coming from bob lazar and john lear that vladimir putin's uh russia currently has them they're remnant from the they're remnant from from the the soviet era they've had it for some time um, if I'm not mistaken, there were several downed craft that the United States government was able to come into contact with that were located over the, uh, I, I believe, the S-4 military installation, which they call uh, Area 51. And Bob Lazar was basically stating that these craft are contained for for periods, for decades on end, obviously. They pull them out every 10 years to see whether or not there's been any technological advancement so we can actually begin de- um, defabricating and deconstructing these. And there's there is chatter uh, in in UFO circuits that the the, the Russians are effectively attempting to do the same thing. Now, um, I'm guessing because, like how you described, we've had governments and militaries had have they've had these uh, these crafts for a while. Has any of the technology been used and normalized with us that we don't realize is from alien technology? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So. Um... The uh, his name was uh, named Jeff Brazel. Uh, the the rancher that was outside of uh, the Corona crash described, if I'm not mistaken, that the skin of the extraterrestrials that they pulled from the body resembled a fabric, and this is precisely what we we would expect if the skin was like a spandex material. If you think about it, if you didn't have the vocabulary to express it, you would describe it along those terms. So there could have been. Um, there could have been certain different types of technology that were retrieved from the crash of Corona. My opinion is that what 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 the government tends to basically do is that they acquire they they acquire extraterrestrial crafts and extraterrestrial technologies. But the government itself is so unbelievably leaky, and people get excited about this that what they do is that they break the technology up and they distribute it to the captains of the captains of private industry to see whether or not they can do an effective job. In reverse engineering, whatever pe- whatever parcels of technology that they're sharing, so I think there's sufficient evidence to suggest that we've uh, retrieved fiber optic technology through this through this route, uh, methodology. There's a there's a reasonable um, argument to be made that we've even retrieved microchip technology as a consequence of this, because if you look at the rate of exponential um, increase according to Moore's law with how technology uh, evolved forward. Mm-hmm. In the, in the 1940s, we were competing with vacuum tubes. By 1950s, we've, we've, we were just on the precipice of going past, going past vacuum tubes and having the very, very, very first semblance of silicone chips. 
And the crash of Corona happens, what, 1947? So we're talking a very brief interval that we've gone from computing with these colossal vacuum tubes to Turing processors with the zeros with the zero one digit switches. And then from there, things continue to, to unfold. I don't think anybody would have been able to, to prognosticate just how rapidly technology evolved um, with, within, within the 20 years since the computer really started to be put into effect um, from the 40s up until the 60s, never mind everything after the fact of that. So I, it's my opinion. This I don't know. But it's my opinion that uh, microchip technology was probably reverse engineered. Fiber optics were probably reverse engineered. And um, in, I think certain exotic metals, certain memory steels of certain exotic metal, uh, metals were probably reverse engineered. That's fascinating to, to think that we've already been using alien technology in our in our everyday lives. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think that's interesting too. Um, well, what a lot of people don't really understand is that this is a little bit more exotic, but we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. So fundamental space-time geometry is actually a quantum memory field. So what we mean by this is that Dr. Irvin Laszlo discovered along looking by looking at a wide variety of experimental data that if you actually get smaller than an atom, you go smaller than the protons, neutrons, and electrons, you get down to the Planck scale. Space-time itself is actually filled with a colossal interference pattern, which is itself inseparable from consciousness itself. That the fundamental ground state of the universal condition is a unified field of, super, of a superconscious superfluid that records all content. Now, strangely enough, what this would allow for the possibility of is that any species who's... Uh, who the resident who's the residences of their brain states are capable of moving in the phase coherence with ours there would be at least the possibility of exchanging non-local data from interstellar distances in the form of uh, in the form of intuitions and insights though we wouldn't necessarily be able to pinpoint the source so many different in innovations that human beings are getting right now that we think that we're inventing is also the, is are also the a direct consequence that if there's life out in the in the universe that have evolved along similar lines, we'd be putting our own states of consciousness into phase coherence with theirs, and in effect, in effect, we'd be actually just downloading information that they had they themselves have already created, but we would be retrofitting it for human purposes. Wow, that that is interesting, and it kind of uh, it kind of gels with what you were talking about with um, human belief systems throughout time and and uh, religion and what what they taught because there's a lot of similarities with that that changes everything the way you look at it that thought thought and uh i guess some sort of universal consciousness that that how powerful that is and that's just transmitting uh thought to each other or that 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 is fascinating in itself yeah that is fascinating a lot of people like i'm i'm, I'm a public intellectual a lot of people don't know how it could be so damn religious and it's not because I'm religious strictly from like a, like a fundamentalist perspective. I believe Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, they're all legitimate. It's just, a, it's just I interpret the world's religion through a Jungian psychological perspective. And when you interpret the world's religions from a Jungian psychological perspective, they make eminent sense. And from, that, and, and from that point of view, it also happens to be entirely scientifically compatible. You find reasons to believe that what we would otherwise perceived to be God is the unus mundus of the collective unconscious, and that this, and that this phenomena within us as the unus mundus also has a phys, phys, uh, physical correlates in, um, in the zero-point field of space-time. The zero-point field of space-time also, like I said, is an information and memory field, and it's what's responsible for fine-tuning all the, cos the, the various constants of the universal forces to allow for the evolution of conscious life in, or life in the first place in the cosmos. So 
from this, we could actually infer that life is probably a lot more common and a lot more a, a lot more common just by virtue of the uh, of the zero point field and how it calibrates the laws than otherwise. So I, just just from what we know about the physics, just from what we know about the physics, life is probably life is probably widespread throughout the cosmos. That's that's exciting news to hear. Um, I think for a lot of people. Um, and this is very interesting information, and I, I think a lot of listeners would want to know, how can they, um, do you have a website or how can they reach out to you or, or get more information from you? I just pulled the website down because I'm actually getting ready to relaunch the consulting agency because of the coronavirus and everything, everything needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. But when it goes back, you should just look for www.avatarparadigms.com. I should be there. I'm the author of A Sleep in the Helix, Survival in the Science of Self-Realization. And I should also be having a forthcoming title uh, later on this year. I think people are going to be really excited about that one, too. Thank you so much for your insights, M.A. Carano. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Be good. Theoretically and hypothetically speaking, extraterrestrials reside in a civilization manifested with intelligence stronger and by far much more advanced than humanity. But the real question remains, however, do they visit us because they want to learn more about us, or do they really visit us because they created us? The continuous speculation of archetypes in our universe fundamentally play a formidable role in our world. Our civilization is a collective of multiple species rolled into one life form. If God didn't create our world, then who did? And if aliens do not exist, why are we so eager to learn so much about them? Until we meet again, this is your host, Billy Hoosh, signing off. Thank you for listening. Remember, not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar.